Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's really great uh, to be here with you, and I'm really excited to share uh, God's Word with you, the good news of Jesus Christ this morning, and specifically about uh, uh, revolving around this guy named Peter, a guy I can relate to uh, for many reasons. Hey, uh, that was uh, that was Robin up here just a minute ago, and uh, sometimes we tease and call her Reverend Robin, uh, Rev Rob, and uh, you know she was doing the announcements, even though she's in charge of children's church. And um, I thought, you know, we should just have her preach as well, but because uh, let's just have her do everything. Uh, uh, just teasing, she's gonna kill me for saying that. Is Jeff? Oh yeah, Jeff, don't tell her I said that. Yeah, it's good. Hey, um. <clears throat> Did anybody else notice what I noticed in this story? Thing that kind of stood out in my sort of like junior high mind? You know? <laughs> I'm not the only junior high boy at heart uh, here today. Um, why was Peter fishing naked? What is going on? You know, I... Uh, I did a lot of fishing growing up with my dad. We uh, fished a lot. And I can't remember a single time where we fished without clothes on. Whether it was cold or hot, not really sure what's going on uh, there. But uh, I do see that here again, we witness Peter in all of his impulsiveness. This guy is impulsive man after my own heart. I can relate to this guy. You know, last week we got to see the good news of Jesus Christ through the lens of Thomas, the guy, uh, the disciple who had a difficult time believing that Jesus was alive. And I was like, you know, I love Thomas. I mean, he was just honest. He had intellectual integrity. I, I love that guy. I feel like I can relate to him too. And, and today again, I feel like I love this guy, Peter. I can relate to him. He's so um, impulsive. He just says what's on his mind before he thinks about whether it's a good idea to say it or not. Um, he sees uh, Jesus on the shore, and he decides that it would be a good idea to just, well, first of all, put some clothes on. And uh, this is like reverse skinny dipping. You know, he was fishing naked, and then he put his clothes on. Can I talk? Can I say that here? I'm not, he put his clothes on, jumped out of the boat, and swam to shore when he saw Jesus. And, you know, it doesn't tell us if Peter actually got to the shore before the others who did the normal thing, which was row the boat to the shore. And I like to think that actually um, the other guys actually rowed faster to the shore and, uh, and left Peter behind in, uh, in the dust. Uh, the Apostle John actually did that once before. That's a different, uh, different story. But I can relate to this guy, Peter. He's so impulsive. You know, I was uh, serving a number of years ago at a wonderful little church in a suburb of Vancouver, British Columbia. And I was on staff there for about three years. And the senior pastor there, his name uh, was Graham Illman. Great guy. And uh, we sat down for my annual review at one point. And uh, Graham said some very helpful and wise and pastoral words to me. 
uh, in my annual review. He said, Peter, uh, you're kind of impulsive. And uh, he's super right. And uh, so that's why, you know, I can relate to this guy, Peter, who sometimes just does stuff without thinking. He says stuff without thinking. But man, I feel like you got to love this guy, right? I mean, he's just on fire. He just is passionate. And you know, as silly as naked fishing sounds and as impulsive as this guy Peter is, I hope and I pray that you and I would have half of the courage, half of the enthusiasm, half of the passion to follow Jesus that the apostle Peter has. Even if he often gets it wrong, at least he's passionate about it. I love this guy. Let's pray as we dive into the text. Gracious and living God, thank you for your patience with Peter and all of his impulsiveness. Thank you that you love him more than we can imagine. And thank you also that you love us in the midst of our idiosyncrasies and failures even and personalities and ways in which we get it wrong. Thank you for your great love for us. Would you speak to us today now? Not only to inform us, but to transform us. We don't want to leave here the same as we were when we came. And we believe, Jesus, that your word has the power to transform. So will you transform us? We believe also that your word has the power to do what it speaks. You said to the sea, peace, be still, and the waters obeyed. Would you powerfully speak in a way that does the work of transformation in us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Altogether, at work, failure, follow. Altogether, at work, failure, follow. That's where we're going today. Those are the key words today. Just like on the previous two Sundays after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples were here again, at least seven of them anyway, gathered all together. Just like previous weeks. And it's here when they're all gathered together that Jesus is going to show up. Jesus is going to reveal himself. Jesus is going to speak words of forgiveness. He's going to give instruction. He's going to call out a miraculous catch of fish as they are gathered here all together. And it's here when the disciples are gathered all together that they will recognize Jesus. They will see him. Their eyes will be opened. They will hear Jesus' voice. They will obey Jesus' instructions when they're here, gathered all together. And ultimately, they will worship him as Lord and God, here, gathered all together. It's when Jesus' disciples are gathered all together that Jesus does this. Not always, but So often in the New Testament and all throughout church history, it's when followers of Jesus are gathered all together that Jesus reveals himself, that Jesus speaks powerfully, that Jesus opens the eyes of those who were blind so that we can see him all together. This is why we gather all together for worship. This is why we do what we are doing here this morning, because we believe that Jesus reveals himself so often, not always, but so often when we're gathered all together. It's here when Jesus speaks to us most clearly. It's here when our eyes are opened up so that we can see more clearly. 
It's when we're gathered all together. This is why our primary discipleship tool is life groups, gathering small groups of followers of Jesus together so that when we are all together, we can hear Jesus' voice, we can see Jesus' face, and we can be transformed by Jesus' presence. They were all gathered together when Jesus showed up. And so that's my hope and my prayer here this morning as we gather all together here on campus and also on our live stream, as we gather together to worship the living God, that he would reveal himself. This is our hope for Friday nights at Celebrate Recovery when we gather all together for healing and wholeness. This is my hope for Thursday nights as students gather at the dock. This is my hope for Wednesday nights as mothers of preschoolers gather together. This is my hope for Tuesday nights as step studies and life groups and the Roots Discipleship Course gather all together. This is my hope for Monday nights when the prayer group gathers all together and for Saturday morning when our deacons meet together and on Tuesday evenings when our elders meet all together and at your life group, whenever and wherever it meets, when you meet all together, that it would be here that Jesus would reveal himself to you, that he would speak most clearly, that he would open your eyes and that he would transform your hearts. They were all together. It just seems like that happens so often. And where were these guys when Jesus shows up? The text says that they were on the Sea of Tiberias. That's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. They were back at home. The disciples were back in their home villages up north. After all of the traumatic events that happened down south in Jerusalem, they had gone home to their home villages and were now on the Sea of Galilee. And what were they doing when Jesus showed up? Well, we know at least one of them was fishing naked. But the other six, as far as we can tell, were fishing with their clothes on. They were at work. These guys were at work. It was a work day. You know, we might have expected that Jesus would reveal himself, that Jesus would show up at a prayer meeting because he does that. Jesus shows up at prayer meetings. Just a week earlier on Sunday evening when the disciples were gathered in the upper room behind locked doors because they were afraid for their lives— They were gathered, and I'm certain they were praying their hearts out because they were afraid. And at that prayer meeting, Jesus shows up because he does that. He reveals himself at prayer meetings. When I talk to Ken Smith, who leads our Monday night prayer gathering here, it's meeting on Zoom right now, but he speaks in ways that demonstrate that Jesus is present, that Jesus shows up, that Jesus is at work moving in the midst of that prayer gathering. We would expect that Jesus would show up at a prayer gathering. You know, we might also expect, rightfully so, I think, that Jesus would show up at worship on Sunday morning, that he would reveal himself, that she, he, he would show himself to be the one and only true God, because he does that. But here, Jesus shows up at work. Jesus shows up at the office, at the warehouse. Jesus shows up here at these guys' workplace on a work day. And it leads me to ask the question, are your eyes and ears open to hear and see Jesus clearly on Monday morning just as you See Jesus clearly on Sunday morning. Are you ready to encounter the living God on Monday morning? 
because Jesus shows up at work. All together at work. There is no place that Jesus will not go to meet you. There's no area of your life that Jesus will not run into you. Nothing is off limits. Jesus is there. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter went back to fishing. Some people have said, well, what else was he going to do? You know, it's what he knew how to do. Good point. It kind of seems like Peter has abandoned Jesus and his mission at this point, though. You know, first, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. That happened a couple weeks earlier from this episode. And now Peter seems to have just abandoned Jesus altogether, and he's just gone back to his old life of fishing. Even though Jesus has just said to Peter and the other disciples, Jesus has just said to Peter, Hey, Peter, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you into the world. Jesus has just commissioned Peter to go and make disciples of all nations, to go and be a fisher of women and men. But in this episode, we see that Peter has gone back to fishing. We also see he is an effective leader. He says, I'm going fishing. And, his, and the disciples follow him. The six others say, we'll go too. You know, we probably shouldn't be, I don't know, surprised that Peter's fishing turned out to be fruitless. Verse 3 says that they caught nothing. The man on the shore, whom they don't recognize yet, it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him yet, he asks, he says, have you caught nothing? And they respond, nothing. Peter fished all night and nothing, nothing, nothing. And this is the moment. This is the moment that Jesus reveals himself to Peter. This moment of failure. Nothing. It turns out that the condition for Jesus to reveal himself is often not well-prepared and well-manicured disciples, but it's disciples who fail, disciples who are failing. Peter, at this point, has failed over and over again. And as New Testament scholar Dale Bruner points out here, he says, failure is good manure. Jesus meets Peter in this moment of failure because it's good manure for, Jesus, for Peter's new life. You know, I rarely talk to moms who feel like they're hitting it out of the park when it comes to being a mom. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Hi, Joyce. Happy Mother's Day. You know, it seems to me that most moms don't have this sense of, I am the best mom ever. I'm hitting it out of the park. My children should worship me. More often than not, I hear among the moms that I hear from some concern that, you know, maybe they're not doing it right. Maybe they're going to mess up their kids. Maybe they're making some bad decisions that are ultimately going to be bad for their children. What if in these moments of questioning, what if in these moments of failure, although I wouldn't call them failure, I think 
often it's just perceived failure. It's not actual failure, moms, right? It's just a perception of failure. And I wonder if in these moments of failure, you asked Jesus to use those moments as manure for your soul. For opportunities to cultivate capacity. Capacity to love yourself. Capacity to love the Lord. And capacity to love your children. Failure is good manure. Jesus had earlier said to Peter and the disciples, it's in John 15 verse 5, he said, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. That night of failed fishing was a difficult object lesson in this reality. Apart from me, Peter, you will catch nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Cast your net starboard, the man on the shore says. They don't recognize him yet. They don't know who this guy is yet. They're not, they, they do not know that it is Jesus. And yet, this is amazing. This is miraculous, actually. They obeyed the guy. He says, cast your net starboard, and they did. This is a miracle. I mean, we know from the story that Jesus provides a miraculous catch of 153 fish. But have you ever considered the miracle of their obedience? I mean, think about this. Seven professional fishermen. They fished all night long because that's when you fish on the Sea of Galilee. They had fished all night long and caught nothing. They were certainly exhausted. They were certainly frustrated. They were certainly deflated. And then this stranger shows up on the shore. Who knows if he's a fisherman or not. And he says, hey, try that fishing hole over there. Now imagine you were one of those professional fishermen, exhausted, frustrated, disappointed. You fished all night and caught nothing. What are you thinking and what are you feeling? This guy's annoying. What does he know? But they obeyed him. And it's an enormous amount of work to haul in all of those nets and move them to the other side of the boat to a new fishing hole. But they did. They do what he commends them to do. You know, we believe that Jesus' word informs us of the truth. We believe that when Jesus speaks, he's speaking truth to us. And it's good to be informed, right? We also believe that Jesus' word transforms us. That when he speaks words of kindness and mercy and forgiveness and grace, he transforms our hearts and our lives from the inside out. We believe Jesus' word does that. But do you believe that the word of Christ actually graciously enables that which he commends? In other words, we believe that Jesus' word informs us. We believe that Jesus' word transforms us. But do we believe that Jesus' word actually performs the work it talks about? Remember, this lake, this body of water is the very body of water where before Jesus, in the midst of a violent storm, when the disciples were freaking out because they thought they were about to die, Jesus stands up and he speaks a word of power. He says, peace be still. And the waves obeyed his voice. The word of Christ has power to perform that which it commends. How else can we explain why these fishermen obeyed Jesus' voice? Cast your nets 
to the other side. I wholeheartedly believe that the word of God informs, transforms, and performs the work it speaks to. It is why I have given my life and my study and my work to doing that very thing. Because the word of Christ is power to save. Obedience. After their miraculous obedience, Jesus provides this miraculous catch of 153 fish. Why, do, why does he tell us 153? You know, I mean, there's like so many details that are missing from this account. So much going on that we are not told. Why are you telling us there's 153 fish? I mean, does it really matter if it was 125 or if it was 270? It was a lot of fish. I was talking to a friend this week who said, you know, I think... He says it's 153 here because every single fish counts. Every single fish matters. It's not just a bunch of fish. It's not just a crowd. It's not just a, a number. Every single one counts. And of course, this story is not about fish. It's about you and me. It's about those who are lost. Remember when Jesus said to Peter and his pals, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. 153, every single person counts. Every single life matters. You are not just one of a many number. You are not just one in the crowd. You are not just part of the bunches. Every single one counts. They all have breakfast on the beach together. That was the working title of my sermon today, Breakfast at the Beach. They all have breakfast together and, and then the scene shifts and we get to listen into a conversation between Jesus and Peter. The other six disciples, I think we can assume are still there. We're not told that they leave. And so they're listening in to this conversation, this little fireside chat between Jesus and Peter. And this little fireside chat recalls for us, and certainly for Peter, the last time that Peter was sitting next to a charcoal fire. The last time that Peter was sitting at a charcoal fire, looking across it towards Jesus, was on the night that Jesus was crucified, when Peter denied Jesus three times, denied even knowing him three times. And now here he was, sitting at another charcoal fire, looking across it, at Jesus. And Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. One for each of his denials. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And here's where our word for love falls short for us, because we just have one for, word for love. It's um, love. <laughs> and that's all we have, you know? Krista hasn't done this to me in a while, but she used to do this all the time. I'd be like, oh man, I'm so hungry. I love pizza. Let's get pizza tonight. And she would say, I love Jesus. And I'd be like, I am such a shallow human being. I love pizza. And Krista loves Jesus. Um, <clears throat> obviously not the same thing, but it's the same word. I love pizza. I love Jesus. This word love lets us down here. But the words for love that Jesus and Peter are using are different words for love. And I'm not going to go into the details of that, but clearly loving pizza is not the same thing as loving Jesus. But what Jesus is getting at here with Peter is he's saying, love me 
the best that you can. Do you love me even a little and long to love me a little more? I often say that at the communion table. That's what Jesus wants. Can you love me just a little and desire to love me a little more day by day? I'll take whatever love you got. Simon, son of John. That's what Jesus calls Peter. Why does Jesus call Peter by his old name? Simon, son of John. That's Peter's old name. Three years earlier, Jesus had actually given Simon, son of John, his new name, which is Peter. Peter, which means rock. So why does Jesus here call him Simon, son of John? I think it's because Peter the rock has demonstrated that he was not so rock-like as he was quicksand-like when he didn't even have the spine to admit that he knew Jesus. I think Jesus is acknowledging Peter's failure here because failure is good manure. Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know, then what's going on in these weird verses, verses 18 and 19, when Jesus says to Peter, you know, someone else is going to fasten your belt around your waist and going to take you where you don't want to go. It's kind of this weird language. What what is going on here? Here's what I think. Verse 19, Jesus says that he's referring to the manner in which Peter would die. We don't actually know for sure how or where Peter died, but these words seem to indicate to us that Peter is going to die a violent death. That Peter is going to die a sacrificial death. And I think what Jesus is telling Peter here is that following him, following Jesus, means death to self. Whoever will lose his life for me will find it, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. Following Jesus means dying to self, dying to self-interest, dying to your own good ideas, to your own strength, to your own courage. What happened when Peter relied on his own good ideas, his own ingenuity, his own strength, his own courage? He didn't even have the strength to admit that he knew who Jesus was. Three times he denied Jesus. What happened when Peter relied on his own ingenuity and his own skill set to go fishing all night long? Nothing. 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 In John 13, 36, Jesus had said to Peter, Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Jesus was talking about going to the cross. Peter, you can't follow me to the cross. But afterwards, you will follow me. Peter, of course, protested. He said, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. This is impulsive Peter, right? He just says whatever comes to mind without thinking about it. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, really? You're going to lay down your life for me? Peter, listen, before the crow, before the cock crows even three times, you, crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter, he had all the self-reliant courage in the world. He had all the guts in the world, but it wasn't enough for him to be identified with Jesus, for him to even admit that he was one of Jesus' colleagues. As long as Peter was self-reliant, he could not follow Jesus. 
This is why Jesus says to me, where I'm going, you can't follow me. Jesus had been saying to Peter, look, you you have not yet, you are not willing to lay down your life. You are not yet willing to lose your life for my sake. So you can't follow me, but you will follow me afterwards. After what? After what, Jesus? I think it's after this fireside chat. I think it's after this breakfast on the beach. It's after Jesus restores Peter. After he forgives Peter. After these failures of Peter's. This is why Jesus says at the end of verse 19 in today's scripture reading, follow me. You can follow me now, Peter, because you get it. You finally understand that Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why you must lay down your life. That's why you must lose your life. That's why you must die to yourself. What about you? Are you ready to let go? Are you ready to die to self-interest and self-protection, self-promotion, and follow Jesus on the way of the cross? You know, death to self-interest is a kind of failure. It certainly looks that way in the eyes of the world, doesn't it? When Peter lost his life for Jesus, he died to his own self-interest. He died to his own self-protection, to his own self-promotion. And the cross on which Jesus died, that also is a kind of failure, isn't it? Jesus died to his own self-interest. Jesus died to his own self-protection, his own self-promotion. Philippians 2 says that he literally emptied himself and became nothing. He surrendered to the will of his Father. Not my will, but your will be done, Jesus says. Jesus' selfless act on the cross shows us the way of obedience. It also shows us the way of failure that comes, that becomes good manure. The way to new life. And I wonder, what failures in your life right now does God want to use as manure for what he's doing next in you and through you? What ways do you sense in which you are failing or frustrated or powerless And how might Jesus be using those experiences as fertilizer or manure for what he wants to do in and with and through you next? Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And then the invitation, follow me. My prayer, my hope is that Jesus would reveal to you himself that he would reveal to you his nature as we are gathered together, all together, and also as you seek him in solitude. That Jesus would reveal his nature, his very character to you, that you would hear his voice in worship and at work. While you're washing the dishes, while you're worshiping the living God. 
My hope and prayer for us is that he would use your failures, that he would use our failures as good manure to cultivate capacity, capacity to faithfully follow Jesus, capacity to faithfully love Jesus, capacity to faithfully love one another. For just as Jesus said to Peter, he is saying to you and me right here and right now, to follow me, Jesus says, is to take the way of sacrifice, the way of the cross, to lay down your life for me, the way that leads to the fullness of life. And if we were to go from here and walk into an in-depth study of the book of Acts, we would see, we would get to follow the apostle Peter as he is filled with power and authority and the Holy Spirit, as he has entered into this new life and new vibrancy that Jesus has given him, and as the manure of his failures have turned out to be really good fertilizer for what God intended to do through Peter, the man who went from quicksand to the man who was solid rock. May that be true for you. May that be true for us as we trust him even and maybe especially in the midst of our failures. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to Peter. Thank you that you never gave up on him, even when he gave up on you. Thank you that you never failed him, even when he failed you. Thank you that you passionately pursued him. Jesus, we can see that Peter needed you that he needs you, that apart from you, he could do nothing. Nothing is exactly what he caught all night long when he relied on his own, when he relied on himself. But with you, Peter the apostle was able to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the face of danger and challenge. I pray this morning that you would do this kind of work in us. That as we have been informed of what you have done in the past, that you would transform us, that we might be agents of what you are doing in the present. And that your word would work with power in and through us. So that when you say to us, cast your nets starboard, we would obey and follow and trust. Jesus, we need you. Thank you that you walk with us when we follow. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.